Today we are going to the book of Daniel, chapter 6, the book of Daniel, chapter 6, and you might find it on page 1381 in the Pew Bible. Daniel, chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were, able, they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty issued a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, the king, so King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knee and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and, praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went out as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict can, that the king issues can be charged, changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it, with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue rescue you from the lions. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. 
My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who falsely, who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord. I would like to address the elephant in the room. And I am not talking about me, I'm talking about the Thanksgiving dinner. Right? I call it the elephant in the room because despite being called a Thanksgiving dinner, it often causes us to lament. By now, you should know who's coming to join you on Thursday for that dinner. That uncle, who will no doubt have one too many drinks. Or that aunt, who doesn't even need to drink anything. They're bringing more than some pumpkin pie or stuffing to the table. They're bringing what I like to call the steaming hot potato topics to the table. The topics include Adele's interview with Oprah or her latest album, politics, religion, and of course the Kyle Rittenhouse case. In other words, they are bringing uncomfortable conversations to the table. And we know how it goes. Somebody says something offensive and controversial and starts a heated debate. And it usually gets very personal because often our values and cores, our core values and core beliefs, something that we stand for, come under attack. Has that ever happened to you before? And if so, how did you respond to such an attack? What I'm trying to do today is to get you ready just in case something comes up and triggers you on, on Thursday. Because what if, what if this year somebody launches an all-out attack on your Christian faith? How would you respond then? Every time I face a, uh, such a triggering moment, I, I try to remember what my professor at Calvin used to say all the time, and this is his saying. If you have something to say, then say it. But if you need to say it, go see a therapist. I see some laughter, I hear some laughters. At the same time, I see some confused looks on your faces. And, and I have to be honest, like when I heard this quote for the first time, I was really confused. I even asked in the class, What does that even mean? It means silence is golden. With his quote, 
He was trying to teach me and other students that more often than not, it's better to remain silent than to speak. If you have something to say, if you are 100% sure that what you're about to say will help the situation or help the person that you're talking to, go ahead and say it. But if you need to say it, if you feel the need to be that one who drops the nugget of wisdom in the situation, don't say it at all because likely you will just impose yourself or insert yourself in that situation. In that case, it's better to remain silent than to speak. I say all this because that's exactly what is going on in Daniel 6. This chapter, of course, is a famous chapter, well-known chapter, you know, especially if you grew up in the church, right? The innocent Daniel is thrown into the den of lions by his enemies. Contrary to everyone's expectation, he survives this ordeal by the grace of God. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I bet you that this is one of the top five famous Sunday school stories. And it's definitely in my top five. In our journey through the book of Daniel, we have seen over and over that Daniel is this truly exceptional person. In this book, nations rise and fall, kings come and go, but one thing, at least one thing remains the same, and that is the fact that Daniel is always held in the highest regard. Even in chapter 6, there is a new king, and he wants to make Daniel his number two. Why? Because he is exceptional. And that just makes all the other people in the government jealous. And if you are young young at heart like me, today we call these people haters. Were these haters really hating on Daniel for no reason? In other words, was Daniel really innocent? Well, the Bible says that he was. The Bible tells us that these haters went out and uh, went out and searched for any dirt on Daniel, but they could not find any because Daniel was squeaky clean. They ended up concluding that Daniel was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel was a truly an exceptional person, and not just Uh, not just as an interpreter of dreams or as an administrator, he was a paragon of a true believer. But in a surprising twist, his faithfulness becomes his trap. These haters goes to the king. These haters went to king with this cunning proposal. Oh, king, we got this great idea. For the next 30 days, everyone should pray to you and you only. Whoever violates this, whoever prays to any god or any human being, should be thrown into the uh, the lion's den. Oh, it is so brilliant that everyone agrees that you should put this in writing so that it wouldn't be altered or repealed. Well, we know that that's a lie because there's no indication that Daniel ever agreed to this. But in the end, King Darius does exactly what they told him to do. The trap is set. Now, all all that these haters need to do now is to catch Daniel in action. And that happens almost immediately. The Bible tells us that as soon as Daniel learned about this trap, he goes to his upstairs room and starts praying to God for help. And his enemies were right there to catch him 
in action, and they report it right back to the king. Now the king has no option, no choice but to throw Daniel into the lion's den. What would you do in that situation if you were Daniel being thrown into the den of lions? Or does it not matter because nobody here will ever face such a hypothetical scenario? It is true that we won't, we probably won't have to face any lions in our lives, but we have to face some traps. We will face traps and ordeals because we, li- we live in an increasingly anti Christian world today. Each of us has values and beliefs that are central to who we are as Christians. But it's getting harder and harder each day to stay true and live by those values and beliefs. Let me give you an example. Every Christmas, Christians have proclaimed that Christ is born with the traditional saying, Merry Christmas. But today our society insists that we say, Happy Holidays. Or we are called bigots for not including other religious and cultural holidays. See, we need to recognize that there is a battle happening between God and the world. We don't often see it, we fail to recognize it, but the battle is real and we are trapped in the middle of it. Jesus says in John 17 that we are in the world but not of the world. We belong to God as his people, but we live in a world that is not our own. As God's people, we try to be um, faithful believers who stay true and live by those values and cores, core values and core beliefs as they are revealed in the Word of God. But at the same time, because we are exiles, the world has set its traps to catch us in action, to cancel us, and to ostracize us, as it did in the days of Daniel. So maybe we will never face lions in our lives, but we will face traps and ordeals. But the book of Daniel is not just about living as exiles. It's also about hope and how we respond to that hope with our faithfulness. So once again, we turn to Daniel 6 to see how Daniel, the paragon of a faithful believer, responded to his ordeal. And straight away, we notice that his response to his ordeal wasn't much of a response. The whole time his enemies were conspiring against him, trying to throw him into the den of lions, he remained silent. He was strangely silent. The only thing that we know is that he prayed, but in the end, like, we don't even know what he actually said in his prayer. We know that silence is golden, but didn't Daniel actually have something to say in this situation? In the end, Daniel was innocent. He had not done anything wrong. This trap was all, this, this was a, all a trap. Devious and elaborate trap set by his enemies to bring him down. And as an important administrator of this kingdom, he never agreed, Daniel never agreed to this new rule. So didn't Daniel actually have something to say here? And shouldn't he have said something? I know what I would have done if I were Daniel. I would have said a lot of things. 
right? I would have been up in arms about it. But fortunately for all of us who are reading this story, he was not like me. He probably didn't know the saying, silence is golden, but he still embodied that saying, embodied its meaning. He understood that it was better for him to remain silent than to speak because he saw that if he were to speak, if he were to point the finger at his enemies, that would have started this never-ending he said, she said battle, which he would have never won. The new rule was already in writing. It could not be repealed or altered. So Daniel remained silent. Even when he was being thrown into the lion's den, he was silent. When we eventually hear from Daniel, it's only after he spent the night in that den. You know, as the story goes, the king, at the first light of dawn, rushed to see if Daniel was okay. And that's when Daniel finally broke his silence. And what did Daniel say? Did Daniel say that it was all a devious and elaborate plan set by his enemies? No. Did Daniel say that he never agreed to this new rule, ridiculous new rule restricting his religious freedom? No. What did Daniel actually say? This is what he said. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. When Daniel finally said something, it was to explain that it was God who saved him. When he finally broke his silence, he was pointing to God and told the king that God was his protector. He did so to explain what God had done for him. And in this, Daniel, the paragon of a faithful believer, has demonstrated what it means to be a witness to God and to his mighty works. We often view silence as a sign of weak faith or faithlessness. But in our story this morning, Daniel's silence was not a result of his weak faith or faithlessness. No, nothing suggests any of that. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Daniel was silent, and he was able to remain silent because of his faith, because he believed that God was his protector. I'm sure he felt like saying something, condemning his enemies for conspiring against him, or saying something to prove his innocence. But he remained silent. Why? Because God had not yet done his work. So he prayed and patiently waited for God to come and save him from this ordeal. And once God did come and save him, he finally had something to say to the king, that it was his God who protected him from the lions. And that testimony led King Darius to call his entire kingdom to revere and fear the Lord. We should also note that Jesus, at a very crucial point of his ministry, remained silent also. Jesus knew that the Jewish leaders had set the trap. And he could have said a billion different things to dismantle that trap, but he didn't. He remained silent. 
Instead, he went to God. Your will be done, he prayed. When he was captured and put on trial before Pontius Pilate, once again, he could have said a billion different things to prove that he was the Messiah, that he was the son of the living God, but he didn't. He remained silent. Why? Because his work was not finished yet. But once he did finish his work through his death and resurrection, he called his disciples as his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the testimonies of these disciples began bearing fruits. And the fruits are the billions of lives saved in Jesus' name. And you and I here are those fruits. It is not to say that silence is always the answer. No, we are called to spread the good news about Jesus Christ, and that requires us to say Jesus is Lord. If we have something to say, then we should say it. But the issue that I'm raising is that we tend to think that we tend to think that we should speak up and fight whenever our values and beliefs and our faith come under attack. Like we need to be the saviors of the Christian faith. But we are not the saviors. We can never be the saviors. That title solely belongs to Jesus Christ. We're called simply as witnesses to testify that God our Savior saves, that, our, that God our Savior protects his people from lions, traps, ordeals, and even death. That's what we are called to do. That's what we are called to do. It's important for us to remember that we say, we can say, Jesus is Lord because he has done the work to reveal himself as the sovereign Lord over all things. That is to say, we can only share and proclaim what God has done. So let's go back to the elephant in the room. Let's actually call it the elephant in the world because it's not just at the Thanksgiving table that our values and beliefs and faith come under attack. It could happen anywhere, at any given time. It could be at your Friendsgiving. It could be at, you know, your work or at school or Starbucks or at REI. So how do we respond to this never-ending attack on Christianity in this increasingly anti-Christian world? We remain silent. We remain silent not because our faith is weak or we are afraid of the consequences. No, we remain silent because we are confident in our hope that God, our Savior, who has promised to return with the kingdom, will surely return to firmly establish his order, peace, and sovereignty right here on earth. So we remain silent, and we patiently wait for God to return. And as we wait, we pray. We pray as Daniel did, as Jesus did. We pray for those who attack our faith, that God may reveal himself to them and grant them faith, as he did to all of us. We pray that they may see the hope that we see in Jesus Christ. So if we have something to say, let's go ahead and say that. But otherwise, if we do not have something to say, let's seek God in our prayer 
as we patiently wait for him. Let's go to God in prayer. Mighty God, sometimes we let our zeal get the best of us. We um, end up convincing ourselves that we need to be the saviors and defenders of the Christian faith. But we are not called to do such things. In fact, we are incapable. So we thank you for this tangible reminder that we had received this morning, that it is you who defends and saves and protects And it is us, your people, who are called to witness, testify, and share your mighty works so that the world can see that you are the sovereign Lord over all things. So God, we pray that you would fulfill your promises to your people. Save us from traps, ordeals, and other difficult situations so that we may proclaim your mighty works for all all to see. God, let your mighty works be our story and our song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.